Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, and I am the founder and managing director here at the Anthony Michael Group, a search firm within the greater MedTech space, helping organizations build high-performing teams, primarily in areas like regulatory affairs, uh, quality, clinical, uh, and then we've got a commercial team that does a lot with market access, reimbursement, and payer relations. I have the privilege of being here with you on a regular basis, interviewing best-in-class leaders straight from the industry on all things talent-related today is no different, although I'm really excited about this topic as I am with most, but this is something that we really have not covered in any way, shape, or form yet on the show. We uh, were pleased to have Ms. Heather Thompson with us. Heather is a Senior Manager of Regulatory Affairs at Seismix, Seismix Agnostic, sorry, a business unit of Seismix Corporation focused on molecular diagnostics. Her 25-year career has spanned regulated product manufacturing, clinical and analytical laboratory, quality regulatory affairs, regulatory compliance, and third-party oversight, including acting as quality director for a medical device single audit program, auditing organization, acting as an FDA third-party inspector. What's neat is that Heather is also going to be speaking at the 16th annual IVD Clinical and Regulatory Affairs Conference in San Diego this coming of February, which I'm sure we're going to learn more about today. But without further ado, Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I frankly am so excited to talk about this topic today. <laughs> I think it's so great for January. Awesome. Well, and that's a great lead into what we're going to be talking about. You know, everybody has flipped the calendar now. Uh, we're as the time of this recording, we're midway through January. And I would say the vast majority have probably uh, set their New Year's resolutions and probably even fell off from their New, Year, New Year's resolutions by now. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of people are <laughs> done and they, <laughs> they, they get it going. And then a couple weeks in, we pick up our old habits again and regular life as we know it sets in, right? And today we're here to, together to support the changes that you actually want to make and the habits that you want to create. And uh, you had put up a post a while back recently, obviously here in 2023 on LinkedIn, about this idea of dry January and how it's a great way to really ingrain some of these new habits that you want. But what made me think of this topic today is really a springboard from that post. And it is more so about, I think, the importance and the priority that we all should be putting on our lives outside of our professional world, right? And the positive healthy habits that we want to create, how do we make that a priority? Because everybody says they want it and then life gets in the way. Pressure happens, kids or events or work deadlines. And it, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, these healthy habits that we all desperately want, because nobody wants to be unhealthy, right? But they, <laughs> they fall to the bottom of our priority list. And so that's really the premise of today's topic. And I'm so glad that you are here because I know that you know this firsthand. Tell us, if you will, I guess, from your own perspective, you're, you're a busy professional. I know that you're a family woman as well. How did you decide or really commit to the importance of health, you know, being a priority for you? Mm -hmm. So I made the post um, 
like so many other people. I mean, I get excited in January across the board. I think that so many people do. And this is the reason why resolutions come out is because it is just a natural time of change and renewal and a new start, right? The new calendar year is a time for a new start. And I think, you know, other organizations formally have uh, realized that. And that's where Dry January came from, because it was a, an organization who realized this, this is a time, it's a great time to introduce things like this into your life. But the key, I think, is don't just make a resolution to make it, right? To believe in it and to want to make the change. That's the key part. I think a lot of people maybe half-heartedly do resolutions because they feel like they're supposed to um, mm. rather than saying, oh, this is something that I've wanted to do. Maybe this is a good symbolic time to do it. So for me, I noticed that I wanted to try to find more energy for my life and especially for my work life, for my career. So in doing that, I believed in it. I wanted to make the change so that I'm not just keeping up with demands in my life, particularly at work, but also excelling because of the energy it takes, not just to complete tasks, but to have interactions, right? We're constantly expending energy to do these things. So in thinking about that, you know, your rest and exercise balance uh, is a key component of that, but also what you're intaking, your nutrition, your food choices, staying hydrated. And then, of course, the hydration piece is um, related to dry January, right? Because it's not just say what you're drinking or are you drinking eight glasses of water a day? It's how much salt you're consuming. It's um, also, you know, how much alcohol or whether you're drinking alcohol or not. So these were the kind of pillars that I was thinking about to say, can I give my body the tools that it needs to have more energy? And I think it's Tony Robbins who said, you know, people make a change when the pain is great enough to make a change. <laughs> and, uh, and we're kind of here today to help hopefully help you uh, not have to go through so much pain or feel so much pain to really commit to what's important. Right. But before we go on, I, it may sound pretty straightforward, but just in case for the audience, can you explain exactly what dry January means, what that is? So I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to give a disclaimer that I don't represent the organization that Perfect. started it. It is a trademark idea or phrase. Um, I believe it's Alcohol Change UK. So it actually started in Britain about 10 years ago, let's say. And I want to say, um, and also I think there's a Wikipedia article about it if anybody wants to look it up. But I think it really became more of a hashtag or a movement in the U.S., um, as recently as a couple of years ago, um, I had been talking with some friends about, you know, just trying out, you know, two weeks or a month of changing uh, drinking habits just as another way to tweak things. And then I uh, saw that there was a dry January hashtag and I thought maybe this is the time. Maybe it's a good time to do it. It meshes with um, the other ideas I had about trying to bring more energy to my life. So it was actually started by someone who wanted to prepare for a half marathon. I believe that's what it says on the Wikipedia article. So she was doing it also to kind of say, can I make my body function more effectively in preparation for this challenge I'm going to face? Um, I absolutely support that, the idea of a, a well-honed machine, but also because it supports this particular lifestyle, it's a chance for people who are celebrating sobriety. You know, I support that aspect of it too. If someone says, this is something I'm proud of, 
and I want to celebrate sobriety, then I think that's great for them to utilize it as a platform for that too. Awesome. So I think it's pretty obvious there's enough science out there, there's enough evidence out there that to be at our best, we really need to prioritize our health and wellness. Yet so often it really, like I said at the beginning, it does take a backseat to our work, our daily responsibilities. Why do you think that is? When people know how important it is, but yet it still seems to fall to the wayside. Well, you know, I'm American, so I can only speak from my own cultural background. But I think people here in particular, we in metro areas also, especially because I live in the D.C. metro area, we want to wear busyness as a badge. We want to say, we don't have time to talk. This is all the things we're doing. I'm trying to fit you in, you know, and of course, lives can be as full as we make them. Uh, So I absolutely hear it when people say they really are that busy. But I think there's almost some pressure, whether it be internal or external, to have that sort of busyness as a badge and going along with it to put oneself second, not that self-care has a place among all the other priorities, that it's this secondary priority when really, if we don't practice self-care, we can't bring our best selves to all the other challenges that we're facing. So I think that's a, a key takeaway. And like I said, that was really where my mind was at, just trying to prepare for um, you know the other challenges I was facing, saying, how can I keep this energy level up? The other thing, back to the just making resolutions to make them, is this idea of what I should be doing, right? Which has this element of judgment associated with it. So when you believe in uh, wanting to do these things for yourselves, making self-care a priority, it's not about what you should do. It's not about other people or some sort of bar. It's just doing it for yourself. And, you know, I, as you said, I've been in uh, regulatory and quality for a long time now, and there's a quality philosophy of this um, idea of proactive versus reactive activities, right? So you have putting out fires or you have a crisis and it's getting a lot of attention in the moment, but you can also do these proactive background activities, which hopefully offset crises, right? So it's sort of a similar thing to me. It's a proactive background activity that's going to hopefully enrich these other parts of your life. And honestly, um, every time we have a win, every time we have a quick win, it provides further motivation to keep on keeping on. For sure. And I think, you know, I sit here thinking I know the importance and that it should be a priority. And yet I've put it on the back burner so many times. For example, I um, have found tremendous benefit from meditation. I went to a, an eight-week class and had a hard time the first couple of weeks. And all of a sudden I started to see benefits and I signed up for another eight weeks. And then once I was not in a group on a weekly basis, I fell off and I've tried to get back on the horse and and do it on my own, you know, even five minutes here, 10 minutes here. But I have not gotten back into the rhythm that I was in with the class. But yet I saw tremendous benefits from it or working out. You know, I have seen many benefits as far as energy levels. And for some reason, I fall off, even though I know it's good for me. And I think maybe there's a part of it is that maybe the anxiety of other things like other immediate pressing priorities like you need to get to right away or that there's more gratification that if, hey, if I send this one more email out and I know they're going to respond, like it's immediate gratification, whereas these other things, it takes time, even though you know it's good for you. So dopamine it really is hits. a mental game. What's that? <laughs> dopamine hits. Whatever's yes. going to give you that quick dopamine hit, which, yeah. you know, whether people realize it or, a lot, or not, a lot of people are addicted to sort of this anxiety, adrenaline, dopamine hit, which is tied to stress. So 
to see that lower level benefit like you're describing, especially quietening the mind for meditation. Those are quite challenging, but then ultimately give you so many long term benefits. And it truly all of what we're talking about today is a mental game. There's no doubt, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) brings me to my next question for you. I'm curious, you know, um, it's one thing about dry January, but talk about, you know, any situations where you've either where you've fallen off and how you got back on on track. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I haven't really fallen off for dry January, namely because of public accountability. I made the posting, like you said, and I'm also on this podcast, so (laughs) I don't want to have to go back and say it's great. Great built in (laughs) accountability. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, But I've definitely had my other struggles. You know, like I said, I think there's these pillars, right? The hydration pillar, the food choices pillar, the rest and exercise pillar. And, you know, along with that is the meditation piece. So, you know, rest is quieting the body and meditation is quieting the mind. And so um, especially in, say, nutrition, I've definitely had my challenges. Um, I'm a foodie, so <laughs> it's a it's a point of struggle for me, just like I've also experienced these challenges with quieting the mind and meditation, right? Because it's a natural tendency to keep thinking about all the things that you need to do. So I have, for those, uh, acquired tools to help me. I've done it just from a very practical standpoint of having the tools. But also this mental game that you're talking about, I think going back to the resolutions, if you come at it from a stance of willingness and openness to say, I want to do this. I don't feel like I should do this. I want to do it and I want to do it for myself. And then say, I can do it, not just, you know, saying, well, I'll try, but I may not make it or I probably won't make it. But you're you're committing, you're getting all in and you're approaching it from a a stance of openness and not thinking about failure. I think that that's really key. And also, you know, it's human nature to have backsliding or exceptions. Right. And so maybe a lot of people think about going all in as you're never going to have that. That, that you go all in. And then if you don't go all in, then it's an all or nothing game, right? So then there's that other piece of saying, well, if I have an exception, you can hold yourself accountable, but hold yourself accountable without judgment. Just say it happened. I accept it. I had a moment of weakness and, um, and that I'm going to get back on it as soon as possible. And honestly, that, you know, back to the beginning of our conversation, that ties into resilience. Like you said, it's all a mental game. And every time we exercise these skills, we're building up resilience. And honestly, that applies to all areas of our lives. It's not just about nutrition or hydration or anything like that. <laughs> 100%. And there's a, a couple of things I want to unpack from what you just said. You know, I think it's really, really, really important to get your why right. Why, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you feel social pressure that everybody else, you know, says that you should do it? Are you doing it because your family says you should do it? Are you doing this for you? What is your actual why? Because if you don't have that down pat concrete, you're going to lose ground in a big way because your why isn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. And there's the a big second- difference between an external and an internal why. And the other thing that you said about, look, if you fall off or you make a mistake, you know, be kind to yourself and do it without judgment and recognize that things happen and and keep going forward. I think that's huge in so many facets of life. You know, I make a lot of mistakes, especially with mistakes that I make with my young children and I beat myself up and I have guilt. And, you know, as I've talked to other people and, you know, people, the clinical nature therapists and stuff about different things. 
they always say, look, you got to like, you have to be kind to yourself and forgive yourself and recognize kind of that this is a moment in time, but what's the greater picture, right? And what's, what's the greater intention and keep going forward. It's so true. So I love that you said that. Mm-hmm. I think it takes, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like somewhere between four and eight weeks to create a habit something like that. And if you could just take a step forward every single day, a tiny step before you know it is going to become habitual. Mm -hmm. But the other thing too, is I think when people talk about nutrition or they talk about going to the gym and everybody's gung ho after the turn of the calendar. And then before you know it, February that, you know, the gyms are much more empty. Mm -hmm. It's because I think people put so much emphasis and so much excitement, so much stress on, I got to, this is the year I get it right. right. Five Mm -hmm. days a week. And then they don't. A ticking time. Yes, it's pressure. It doesn't have to be that way. You can have cheat days. You can have days off. You can but think about what is the greater picture. Are you making a a move? Let's just say it's a huge ship, right? And are you turning that ship slowly but surely in the right direction that with the intention that you want for your life? Mm -hmm. And there's so many work related metaphors there, too, right? Like incremental tasks or incremental organizational change or anything like that. I mean, I absolutely agree that all these mental aspects to what we're talking about absolutely apply within the work environment as well, whether that's, you know, uh, interpersonal or completion of a task. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my two cents. But what's yours as far as for others who are listening to this, you know, and they're saying to themselves, you know what, this really is important. I'm just having a hard time because in the past I've fallen off and then I forget about it. So what's your advice as far as for, you know, for those who really want to make these changes, but having a hard time uh, staying committed? Well, it's ultimately a personal choice. It's for you. It's not for anyone else. And if it starts out with that external, I think it's called the external locus of control, maybe. I don't know. I'm throwing some jargon around that you don't have expertise in. But um, if you're doing it for you, that's going to build in motivation, I believe. If you're doing it because you think, oh, it's expected of me or, oh, it's uh, January and everybody's making resolutions, you know, none of that's going to last because you don't have that internal driver to to want to do it. And then um, if you don't want to do it, then sitting with your why, you know, and finding out information. Again, back to the openness, it's all sort of a a sense of, of curiosity, which again is something we can apply to all areas of our life rather than having a mandate that you're just approaching it as, hmm, what do I think about what I'm finding out about myself? And, you know, what's what's my feedback loop? I think that's a, a key one. You know, where is my mind at as far as a feedback loop? And where where is my body at as far as a feedback loop? How am I feeling? Do I have more energy? Do I have fewer aches and pains? You know, all sorts of things, especially with people with, say, allergies. You know, they may need to control what they're eating, even if it's not an anaphylactic reaction. Um, so there's all sorts of things. So all that, the spirit of curiosity says, I'm interested in trying to do this because if you resent it because you're being told to do it, you're not interested, right? Like this is the basic psychology, I think. And so then you're deciding for yourself that you want to change. You're recognizing that bigger goal, like what you had said earlier, and then you're going to be able to approach your other challenges in your life more effectively. So I think you mentioned before, this is across the board good advice to break things into quick wins, right? Because you can 
can either have that shooting cycle, which is built on shame and guilt, and that's going to be a cycle that goes down. Or you can build yourself on a quick win cycle, and that's going to be a cycle that goes up because then you're saying, oh, I saw something positive out of that. Back to the dopamine hit, right? Like you saw something positive out of this. It's going to reinforce you to keep going. You're avoiding perfectionism. You're avoiding comparing yourself with others, which heavens to Betsy, as we said in the South, that's something we all do. We have a natural tendency to compare ourselves with other people. So this isn't about them and it's not about self-judgment. It's just saying, okay, well, if I backslid, then I'm recommitting and reassessing and maybe I need to try a different approach. Maybe this is, you know, maybe dry January isn't something that's going to work for me for whatever reason. Maybe I'm going to try to buy one less box of Hostess cupcakes at the Mm -hmm. grocery store, you know? I mean, because it's all... good right about now. (laughs) Because it's all, you know, part of the same bigger picture to try to, you know, make choices. Am I going to, you know, set my pedometer at a certain thousand number, thousand steps that I need to, you know, there's so many little quick wins that we could make for ourselves and it all, it all adds up. I think that's just it is the, the, the message today, the overarching message is just small steps in a positive direction and really understanding why are you doing, why do you want these changes? What do they mean to you? Because everybody could say we want to be healthy, but that, does that really resonate with you, you know, deep down? Probably not, because we all know that that's common sense, that it's better to be healthy than not, right? And so really taking the time, like Heather said, um, to understand what is your why for these changes. One thing that has been helping me the first couple of weeks this year is I built an accountability grid. And all it is, show it to, all I did was take the, a couple of things that were important to me that I wanted to stay consistent on and build a habit around. And I wrote out a 30-day grid. And every day that I do what I said I would do, I put a, an X in the box. And if I don't, then there's no X. Well, what happens is you start to have built-in accountability with yourself and it starts to, you know, one or two days goes by and you didn't do what you said, it starts to kind of be an ache in your side, right? So for me, that's been helping. Not saying you have to, but for me, that's that's been helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and accountability doesn't have to be the stick, right? Like accountability has two sides, the carrot side and the stick side, as people say. So I think that that's another big part of it is building in rewards for yourself. You know, if you're setting up quick wins that are going to create this upward cycle and then also saying, you know, at whatever increment, say every quick win or say if I get five quick wins and I've hit a milestone, then I'm going to reward myself. You're building that dopamine hit that's going to build the habit for you because you're getting rewards. Now, think about the rewards, right? Because you don't want to say, well, I'm not going to eat a bucket of fried chicken, but instead I'm going to buy myself a birthday cake to eat. Then <laughs> Probably not not a, you know, great reward choice. But if you're saying, you know, I'm going to not eat a bucket of fried chicken and then my reward is if you like it, you know, to say I'm going to go on a hike or something like that. You know, everyone gets a lot of dopamine um, and feel good feelings from being out in nature. So, you know, picking good rewards is a good reinforcer, too. For sure. Well, good stuff. I'm so glad that you're here to to share these insights and these nuggets. And I give you a lot of credit for kind of how you're structuring your life and the changes and the commitments that you're making. Before we go, tell us more about this conference that you're going to be speaking at. So it is the 16th annual IVD Clinical and Regulatory Affairs Conference. This is a 
and and I am not associated with this organization, so <laughs> I'm going to give all the information. So it's a Q1 Productions conference, and it's being held in San Diego uh, the first week of February. And there are so many esteemed speakers um, at this conference covering so many relevant topics across both the clinical side and also the uh, regulatory and to market side. And for me personally, I spoke last year focusing also on the LDT space, especially because we were heading in potentially to the valid act and the valid vital policymaking situation, which, you know, I can give more information if people aren't familiar with that. But we potentially were going to have lawmaking surrounding our LDTs and our IVDs being put into a a single clinical trial assay category. However, that did not pass in uh, December. So we aren't heading in that direction. But that was actually what I spoke on last year. So I'm going to segue into also including some LDT topics for this year. And also um, because I've done a lot of work across a number of different schemes and jurisdictional areas, including, like you said, the MDSAP program, which covers five jurisdictional areas and often um, notified bodies are also MDSAP auditing organizations. I'm covering global harmonization as my topic. So if anyone wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn and you have a particular topic uh, within that space that you're interested in, I definitely like to hear about it because I would definitely like to crowdsource because, you know, it's so dynamic right now and we're facing so many changes that I do really think that uh, crowdsourcing is a, a great approach to looking at things in a new way, let's say, because I think that that's what we need to be doing right now. Awesome stuff. Well, if you're going to be at the conference, make sure to uh, come and introduce yourself to Heather. And like you said, thank you for offering that. We'll put a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and then encourage people to hopefully uh, introduce themselves to you online as well. But uh, nonetheless, really, really appreciate you being here as a guest. I wish you continued success personally and and uh, professionally. Thank you so much. And definitely, even if you also want to just uh, stop by and say hi and talk about uh, lifestyle changes, I'm happy to discuss those with people too. So uh, let me know. There's all sorts of things that, that are always good to share among our peers. So thank you again, Mitch. I really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed being on the podcast. Thanks for asking. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.